Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. This special trade deadline recap edition of the Winged Wheel Podcast is uh, dedicated to James Van Riemsdyk. We hardly knew you in Hockey Town. The trade that never was. We'll miss you, JVR. A true legend. That that recap video that came out from Ice Hockey Gifts was, first of all, instant. Like the, the story was still playing out where this thing happened, but then just didn't happen. Uh, the, the trade that never was. And uh, the video went up and I nearly fell off my couch laughing. What a strange 20 minutes. You know what? It was a nice cap to a uh, a rather dull day, considering how crazy the rest of the le- the rest of the week was leading up as the league changed trade deadline day to trade deadline almost month. Uh, but we have to appreciate the way Steve Eisenman kind of separated things out. You know, last episode can really be considered part one of the recap with the Larkin contract, the Wallman contract, the Heronic trade, uh, uh, everything else that kind of happened around the Red Wings, and then we said last episode. The Bertuzzi trade's probably going to follow pretty soon after we hit post here, and it was up for, I think it was like 12 hours after we posted that uh, Bertuzzi was traded the next morning. So all in all, really Not ha- bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. We we have to enjoy this moment because we are never going to have a trade deadline fall in our favor like this one did. Live it now. Future years, you know it's going to be painful. Yeah, you take, the, you take the W's where you can. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. If you are a new listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, And if you have been a listener for a while, we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, We hope you enjoy this special trade deadline recap edition of the Winged Wheel Podcast, where we're going to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, trades, hockey, the world of the NHL, uh, the upcoming uh, or what's uh, to come in the future of the Iser plan and plenty more. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, like I mentioned on this episode of the podcast, our agenda is all of the Red Wings trades. Obviously, Bertuzzi uh, is the big one. We're going to be breaking down the return on that one, how it all played out. Uh, the Jacob Verona saga uh, ended in Detroit as he was dealt to St. Louis. Sunquist uh, was sent to Minnesota, and then a few other moves that the Red Wings made uh, or didn't make. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. And then we have to take a look at all of the picks that the Red Wings have coming up over the next few drafts and, and what this is going to mean for Eisenman as he looks to kind of reshape this team and push them forward. Uh, Eisenman had his press conference uh, as well and, and uh, kind of what he cited in terms of where the, he feels the team is at. Uh, we'll, we'll make discussion of that as well. Uh, the Red Wings uh, played the Kraken last night. We'll look at that. Their upcoming games. Jake Wallman put a guy, uh, well, stole his soul. And then uh, we'll, of course, talk about the rest of the NHL and their trades before taking your questions in overtime. Very quickly, uh, I want to let you know that uh, this podcast is supported primarily by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club. You get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord, which is a wonderful community. Uh, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, we are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. Those are going primarily to Winged Wheel Podcast patrons. Uh, In addition, we do uh, special overtime bonus episodes that we record right after these main ones uh, that uh, are exclusive to our Patreon supporters. The one from last episode uh, got a little bit mixed up in all of the excitement and um, covering the news of the trade deadline. So we're going to do something uh, bonus, a little extra for patrons in the coming days or weeks. 
Uh, so stay tuned. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show, which also helps us do initiatives like winged wheel podcast night slash day uh, at the LCA partnered with the Detroit Red Wings and most importantly in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. All right, let's start with the big one. The Tyler Bertuzzi saga is over. Uh, as we have been talking about this for legitimately years, you know, through multiple contract negotiations and, and looking forward, looking forward toward his um, uh, unrestricted free agency this offseason. You know, with that in mind, we said, what is the most likely outcome for Bertuzzi? And I don't want to say it was a linear path. There were moments where you're like, mm, if the Red Wings can find a number and he's willing to be flexible, this could work. But all in all, the most likely outcome, I think, played out here. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi was dealt to the Boston Bruins, 50% salary retained, which is, of course, what it was going to be, uh, in exchange for a 2024 first-round pick from Boston, uh, which is top 10 protected, and I'll give you a note on that in a second, and Boston's 2025 fourth-round pick. That top 10 protected pick, uh, what that means is that if Boston, after the draft lottery is all said and done, uh, the 2024 draft lottery, if Boston is in the top 10, then they keep that pick, and Detroit gets a different pick. Uh, I was able to confirm that the alternate pick is uh, is indeed a 2025 first-round pick that's unprotected. So if Boston drafts in the top 10 in 2024, Detroit gets their 2025 first-round pick uh, instead. So aside from the you know the drama and the storylines of Bertuzzi no longer being in hockey town, what do you think of the return first and foremost? Well, that fourth round pick really sealed the deal for me. <laughs> Whenever I see a fourth, it's like a meme at this point. It's just what people add into into trades to make it like, uh, all right, you need a little bit more. Here's a fourth, like a throwaway. Well, in our one group chat, no trade is complete until someone makes the joke that, well, what if we added a fourth? You got to. You have to. So that that's really what made it happen here. Um, I like this deal because, you know, perspective matters a lot on this trade because we've seen some crazy deals at the deadline. We've lived through the Hronik trade. Um, you mentioned last episode, the Genoa trade is what really got the wheels turning on putting Bertuzzi back on the market. And obviously Bertuzzi did not get anywhere near the return Tanner Genoa did, but there's context to that. Tanner Genoa's younger, cost-controlled, cheaper. Bertuzzi's a better player, but he's a pending UFA. And... You know, we talked last episode about how late first round picks aren't as valuable as people make them out to be. And that still holds true, but I think the Red Wings are making a reasonable bet here because a few months ago, we thought the price for Bertuzzi at the deadline was going to be maybe a second round pick. So they've already done better than we would have thought. It is not Boston's 2023 first round pick, which I think is the most relevant part of this trade. Mm -hmm. Boston might set the all-time wins record this season. So there's a very, very strong chance their 2023 first round pick is going to be pick 32. Boston's so good this year that if they don't win the cup, Boston fans can actually not be... Um called dramatic to say they're disappointed. You know what I mean? Like they, It's they, really hard to expect your team to win in a 32-team league any given year. Boston fans can expect that from their team this year. It could be a cup, seven, uh, cup final game seven loss, and this season's a disappointment for them, yeah. legitimately. And that's good. That's where you want to be. Um, it's been so long. Must be nice. 2009. <laughs> that all being said, I think the Bruins in next season are still going to be very, very good. Yeah. They're not going to be this good. Bergeron and Krejci, if they come back, are going to be another year older, another year slower. 
And they're very good this year, but there's also the possibility neither of them are back. They're both very near retirement. So this could be the Bruins' last hurrah as a uh, top-of-the-lineup cup contender. They're going to have salary cap problems next year because, obviously, it was right and good of them to keep David Pasternak, and 11.25 per year is very good for David Pasternak. But that's going to really limit what they can do next year versus what they were able to do this year. It's shades of uh, what Colorado has to look forward to now that um, Nathan McKinnon is no longer making you know pennies on the dollar anymore. It's you want to know how teams like we've talked about this ad nauseum, but teams like Colorado, they are competitive for the cup and won the cup because they had guys like McKinnon on like five point something million dollar contracts, uh, Bergeron making a pittance compared to what he should be making. Yeah, it's they're not going to be hurting, but they're going to be feeling the pain that most every other team feels. Yeah. Like I said, there's still going to be a good team next year, but not like this. So there's a chance that that 24 first round pick is five to 10 spots better than the 23 first round pick, which I think Boston already traded away anyway, so it doesn't matter. But just for the the context of it and in terms of, and I'll talk about it later in the episode because I've, I've got a chart that's going to be worth referencing. There's a significant difference in how valuable pick 30 is versus pick 20. Though, Yeah, they're both quote-unquote late first-round picks. In terms of historical value, they are dramatically different. So if Boston does regress to even third in the Atlantic next year, it's going to be a good, a much better pick. Um, and again, you know, the Red Wings had to give up a great player. Like, he- here's how you know the trade makes sense. I don't, I'd like this trade for Boston too. They get one of the better forwards on the market. They didn't have to pay some of the absolutely insane prices that other teams had to, to get what they needed. Um, yeah, Bertuzzi is a pending UFA, but that almost plays in their favor because they won't, wouldn't be able to afford a contract past the summer anyway with the way their cap situation is going. So I think everybody in this trade is happy. I think you can say Boston and Detroit both won this trade because they got as good a value as they could have got, and they both got exactly what they needed. There's an emotional context to this, uh, most notably uh, how that impacted uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, one of his best friends on the team, and Dylan Larkin. But yeah, if you're going to look at this completely objectively, this is a, a good outcome for the Red Wings. Did they have the steal that Tanner Janot got? No, no, no. But almost no one did. And for a good reason, Brad, you called that out. But a first-round pick plus is a all-in-all uh, positive outcome for Detroit. Again, the context of Bertuzzi season was very much in question due to due to two broken hands. There's a lot of questions around his long-term viability uh, on any team because of his back surgery. Uh, he plays a kind of uh, rough and tumble game, kind of always uh, sprawled out on the ice trying to make plays, blocking shots. He, he's like, there's a reason the room loves him, and we'll talk about that in a second, but he gives it his all every shift, but it does lead to injuries, and that's manifested this year. So there were points this year, and, and again, I've talked a lot on this podcast where at the the hardest points of the season, it was uh, the the doom and gloom was driven by. You're either going to lose Bertuzzi for nothing, or you're going to trade him for not enough, and that was a really big concern. So, yeah, to walk away with the first round pick that, I don't know, I'm still gonna. You laid out how this could be really good for Detroit, Brad. I'm still gonna bank on it being like pick 25 because I don't bet against Boston anymore. I give up on doing that. That team always finds a way to be competitive. Uh, but adding a first round pick for a guy who you were looking at maybe walking for nothing. You can't be mad at that outcome. If you have, if you were one of the fans who reacted by saying, okay, but this team 
is now resetting again. This sucks. Like the, you can't rebuild forever. Hey, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think if you look at this at a micro level, like just evaluate this deal, this is a good one for Detroit. Well, you can say they're resetting again, but there was never any indication that Tyler Bertuzzi was going to sign in Detroit. No. So it is what it is, really. And the fact that they were able to get a first-round pick, even though it's Boston's, um, is excellent because for all intents and purposes, Tyler Bertuzzi is an unknown commodity right now for this season. And he's broke both his hands. I mean, he's looked fairly decent in the time he's been back in Detroit's lineup, but... It's not like he's got 20 goals or something and he can fetch more than that. Like Eisenman was kind of up a, up against the wall here and the fact that he was able to squeak out the return he did, I, I thought was a, was was great work. Evan uh, noted something there that they were never close on a contract. That's That's been reported a couple places and from the man himself, Steve Eisenman said in his press conference today, um, you know, he, he had an early discussion with Tyler's agent early in the season, didn't get anywhere. They talked briefly briefly before the deadline, and it didn't lead to anything. Nothing was close. This contract— You got to do you got to do. And that's the thing. Like, if you look at it, neither party did anything wrong here. Tyler's 28. He wants his big contract. He views this as probably his best opportunity. And if he—you know, he's seen how, how many games he's missed. If he can get a team in unrestricted free agency to offer him something, you have to try to cash in on that. So the only contract that would really make sense for Detroit considering their competitive window and when they think they can get up to speed would be a like short to middling term contract for reasonable dollars for Bertuzzi. But why would Bertuzzi sign that? It just didn't make it. They just were not, they're not doing the same things. You know, square peg, round hole. It just wasn't going to work out. You cannot blame Bertuzzi for not taking a massive discount on term or or dollar. Um, He's it's the right move for him and in his career and, you know, frankly, his pocket to go to unrestricted free agency. And you can't blame, you know, Eisenman for not wanting to give him a super long-term deal or, or for high dollars or both. Uh, I would, did do want to recognize, I don't want to minimize the loss of Tyler Bertuzzi. I pulled up a clip uh, from uh, Larkin's punch on Joseph when he was on Tampa Bay that we were all here watching as we were live streaming that game. Bertuzzi flew in immediately after that, ready to, you know, jump in the pile for his teammate. And you can pull up a million clips like that. There's actually one with him going after Marshand and whatever other Bruin, I think Achari at the time, he just threw a punch at him. Like, this is a guy who not only produces on the ice, who plays on your top line, who elevates your your best players by generating space for them and winning the puck off the boards and things like that. He goes, you know, 120% balls to the wall, absolutely give it everything for his teammates every single game. Dylan Larkin got really choked up in his press conference. That should have been about his contract, but the trade happened right before. You know, talking about losing Bertuzzi, that was difficult to watch. And it's not hard to see why. Like, aside from the fact that they're best friends, they, like, this is a guy that you talk about players that you say, I would love to have this guy on my team. That is Tyler Bertuzzi to a T that is a quintessential description like a, a Tyler Bertuzzi is a quintessential you'd love to have this guy in your team player so it's going to be really hard for that locker room to lose that player the results on the ice are going to reflect that and I just even though I think this is the right decision for the Red Wings getting this return it is not going to be easy losing Tyler Bertuzzi it's not easy for the fans and it's not easy for the players and if you consider that emotional aspect I don't blame them at all yeah and 
we we alluded to how this was going to affect the room this year, which I think is going to be honestly my only concern coming out of this deadline. And I know we'll talk more about what the the Grand Eiser plan looks like a little later, because um, I think the Bertuzzi trade has a, a lot of context to that. The Red Wings kind of, you know, they didn't put themselves out of the playoff race with those two losses to Ottawa. They severely reduced their chances, but they weren't out of it. They still had a chance. This is a team that's competed all year, improved, played better, was very much in the thick of the wild card race. And then, you know, Bertuzzi's gone, Sundqvist's gone, Heronik's gone. It's going to be hard to collect the room now. Um, just because every hockey player understands the business of it. And they're not going to sit here and go, oh, we, we don't understand what why you did that. They will know. But they'll also know, well, we did what you needed us to do this year for the most part. We got this team to within the playoff race, and now you are, you know, tying an anchor behind us as we continue to try to make that, to get that playoff spot. Now, obviously there's context too that hopefully the players will understand. Heronik hurt his shoulder Tuesday. We don't know the severity of that. Rasmussen, it's been reported, is now done for the season. And those two things alone would have been a huge anchor behind this team, losing yep. two very important players for the playoff run. So that that probably was the what sealed the deal of full fire sale. Like, mm-hmm. hey guys, you know, we appreciate you getting here. So I hope the players in the room are smart enough to understand what happened here. I don't expect them to like it. They shouldn't like it. But I'm I'm hoping that the room stays, you know, true to the vision, true to what this organization is doing while still competing every game. I think they do. I, I think players get it. I don't blame Larkin at all for, you know. Yeah, was, that, that was wasn't a, a shot at Larkin. No, not, no. Yeah. Of course. And it was like that, the, that press conference, it was kind of hard to watch. Like an hour and a half after the trade, he's hardly had time to process it. You know, he's barely had a chance to talk to anyone about it. Uh Larkin knows, right? He knows. That's part of being captain of the team. Uh, and it's, you know, frankly, part of getting paid like a, like a you know, the number one player on your team. And that's what Larkin ultimately got in his contract. Like he got his payday. Now part of his job is to work with the lumps and understand where the team is at. And and uh, to your credit, Brad, like, yeah, you weren't, that was not a sh- uh, at all like a, a shot at Larkin. And Larkin even acknowledged in his, in his presser that he knows the team's not exactly set up to win a ton for the next the rest of the year, it doesn't mean that they go out there and try to lose. No, that's not their job. They go out there and give it their all and see what results they can put out there. Uh, it's it's part of the business. Back to Bertuzzi, back to the return. The Bringing in a first-round pick for Bertuzzi, like we said, objectively, that is a good result. Um, I think Toronto was really heavily in on it. I think Dallas was really keen too. I'm not surprised that... Ultimately, this was the offer that did it for Detroit because of that either 2024 first or a 2025 first. There's just a better chance based on the other teams and and how they're positioned. It's almost ridiculous to say because of how good Boston is right now, but there's a better chance, even if it's a small one, of that pick being something even better than what it is. And it's already really great. If we isolate 24... Boston's probably the best bet to regress just because Toronto and Dallas are much younger teams than Boston. I think they're all going to be picks in the 20s anyway, so we're talk- we're really splitting hairs here. But yeah, you you know, if everybody was offering roughly the same thing, Boston's probably the smart smart bet there, which is 
Um, fine. I, I don't think it really would have made a difference which team he ended up going to if they were all offering something similar. You know what's funny is what uh, first-round pick Toronto owns this year? Boston's. Uh, so that's that's Tyler Bertuzzi gone. It's tough. That's uh, that that one made me feel almost like the Nyquist trade, which was really one of the first signs of the the big sell off in Detroit, uh, where you're like, ooh, the right move. You had to do it, but that is a core member of the identity of of Hockey Town as it is right now, of of the Red Wings as it is right now. It was funny in Larkin's uh, presser. I think Daniela asked him like. Are you going to root for uh, Boston uh, so he can win a cup? And he was like, ah, it's kind of hard to root for Boston, so I don't think I'll be doing that. <laughs> Dylan Dylan understands what it's like to be a captain of Detroit. Yeah, there's a reason he wears the C, and it's statements like that. All right. Uh, the other big trade of the day for the Red Wings, and, and I almost say that in jest because the return was small, but obviously the story is big here. Uh, Jacob Verana was indeed traded. We mentioned last episode that if there's one player who's as likely or in the same tier of likeliness as Bertuzzi to be traded, it'd be Jacob Verana. Uh, he was sent to St. Louis, half of his salary retained. That's Detroit's third salary retained. They are retaining on Ponick, uh, and then Bertuzzi and now Verana. Uh, and then in return, they got Dylan McLaugh- McLaughlin and uh, a 2025 seventh round pick. So in essence, Detroit paid because the value of the retention for the rest of the season is worth more than the seventh and the depth player that they got in return. Well, the depth player they got is not even reported into Grand Rapids. No, He has been loaned to Springfield. That was just a paper move to move in and out contracts. Maybe St. Louis was getting up near the limit. That's all that was. So McLaughlin really does not factor into this at all. No. Uh, And I'm pretty sure he's a pending UFA anyway. Seventh round pick is whatever. 1% 1% chance you get a NHL player out of it. Might as well take the gamble. Sure. What this was, was resolving a situation for everybody involved. Whatever the reason, the Red Wings very clearly were over Jacob Verana. I saw a lot of people saying, wow, you traded him for a seventh? Well, they had him on waivers a month ago. So teams could have had him for free already. They Mm -hmm. just would have had to have him at full cap hit and every other team in the league went, no, thank you. So that's what the rest of the league valued Jacob Verona at, which also wasn't very high. Verona got a couple games in, looked okay, but wasn't anything special. Didn't look like his old self. Could that have been rust? Could that have been just him regressing for whatever reason? We don't know. Either way. The Red Wings did not hold a favorable opinion of Jacob Verano. Jacob Verano com- coming out of the player assistance program, probably good he gets a fresh start too. So yep. the Red Wings rid themselves of what they felt to be a problem, and I feel like an a-hole for using that word, but that was very much the vibe that it was. And Jacob Verano gets to go to a team that will probably give him more of a chance than Detroit did. It is what it is. And this was a cheaper option for the Red Wings than buying him out at the end of the year. Just barely on the... Barely, but I think it's that extra year. Yeah. Whereas if they bought him out in the summer, his cap hit is on the book for two more years where now they're only retaining for next this year and next. Yeah. So it's a year shorter, albeit minimal dollar difference. And they get a seventh round pick out of it. So what this boiled down to ultimately was a cap dump. Yep. Uh, the Red Wings viewed, like you said, Brad, they they viewed Verona as a contract they wanted to get rid of. 
And it's a complicated situation because there's the details around the player assistance program. Like that stuff doesn't get talked about. And Eisman didn't talk about it in the presser for, for good reason. But if you consider Verona's time in Detroit, how much time he spent injured, the fact that he, you know, uh, didn't get surgery initially on that shoulder and then injured it a little bit into camp, like 10 minutes into camp, then missed most of the season. Uh, they had concerns about his play off the puck, I think even before. And then that was really their focus after he came back from the player assistance program. Uh, it was essentially the Red Wings were saying, you know, we're paying this guy $5.25 million a year and it's it's not been good so far. Like it's it it's not been a good use of that money in that contract to date we want to rid ourselves of it. So, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone who feels weird about this one. Uh, I root for, for Jacob Verona again, like you said, in this new situation, I hope it's a fresh start for him and that he can continue to build himself back up to the, the player that he was or could be. Um, he's obviously not that right now. In the end, the Red Wings made the decision that they felt they had to. It's, it's an uncomfortable one. And frankly, like what a, if you look back to that Verona Mantha trade, like, that was a blockbuster at the time that was going to have massive ramifications and <laughs> it's really fizzled into nothing for both sides. It's it's Sebastian Cosa right now is going to dictate whether that trade is even notable at all. Yeah. Don't don't write off our boy Booch like that. No, that's right, but Chelnikov is a uh, is another big one. So it's that one's uh that one's tough. It, it, it's a tough situation to have seen play out. Um Again, just happy that Verona's in a new situation. Brad, you, you talked about they are retaining on Verona for the next uh, this season and the next. So just to, to talk about it specifically, NHL teams can retain on three contracts at a time. This year and uh, until the end of the season, they're retaining on Richard Ponick and Tyler Bertuzzi. Those both end after this season. And Verona is this end of the season and next season, like you said. So after the season ends, they can start retaining on two more contracts again. Okay. So that's the Red Wings' two big moves uh, of the day. The other one was uh, moving Oscar Sunquist, who, again, we talked about last episode as that's the kind of guy that teams who are pushing for the playoffs are going to love in a depth role. Uh, the Nemesnikov special. And funny enough, the return was the exact same as Nemesnikov. Yeah, they got a 2023 fourth-round pick. Um, fourth-round picks make the world go round. Uh, in exchange um, for Sunquist from Minnesota, so uh, that's another Red Wings roster player. A lot of ro- like a lot of everyday roster players with important roles. Heronic, obviously, top four, one of the Detroit's most impl- important players this season. Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, top line player. Oscar Sunquist, who plays both special teams, like three big roster players moved. Yep, but the big key there: pending unrestricted free agent. Now yeah. it's a fourth round pick, and. We're going to talk about this in the in the Iser plan part of this show, but fourth round picks don't amount to anything very often. There's a chart that I'm going to go over later, but for fourth round picks specifically, 15% chance of turning into an NHL regular, 1% chance of turning into a quote unquote star. You're you're basically giving Sunfist away for nothing. You're doing it for another ball in the lottery hopper. You want that that one in, you know whatever, one in 10 chance, roughly, that that pick's going to be something. What it does allow, though, it's another asset for the Red Wings to package and trade up or package and trade for a player or or whatever. The Red Wings are still in the asset collection phase. Ultimately, it probably would have been more valuable to the organization to just 
keep Sunquist for the playoff run to keep the team competitive for the rest of the season, but they're not running for the playoffs anymore. Exactly. So if this was the best offer you could get for a guy you were going to probably lose for nothing at the end of the year, so be it. It was the right play. So that was the uh, ultimately what the Detroit Red Wings did with their moves. Um, I think other names were out there. Like we mentioned before, Zadina's name was out there. Uh, I, there's a couple other names that I know teams called on, but Eisenman isn't really one to just kind of sell players who can play, especially anyone with that term on their contract, unless he gets the right price. Uh, there was that JVR fiasco where it looked for a second that JVR was going to go to Detroit. Um, we're not entirely sure that that one was necessarily you know, going to happen. Um, so uh, ultimately that didn't kind of go through. Philly is really weird with how they've handled that team. I don't really, it, Philly and Vancouver are the two most interesting teams in terms of the, you know, what the hell are you doing per 60, especially around the <laughs> trade deadline. Uh, but that's where the Red Wings landed. Uh, Hronik was the, was the big one uh, on day one, or at least uh, before last episode. And then since then Bertuzzi and Verona and Sunquist to round it out. You know, those are four significant names. Um, it's a, it's a more active trade deadline than we anticipated a month ago for sure. Now, uh, even as of Sunday. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. As of five days ago, the Ottawa trade or the Ottawa games changed everything. So let's take a look now before we start talking about, uh, some of the smaller moves that the Red Wings made, um, and their games and things. Let's talk about what they are left with in terms of draft picks and then what's going to happen we had a lot of conversation last episode of, is this a big reset? Is this a small reset? How is the quote-unquote Iser plan playing out? In 2023, the Red Wings have two first-round picks, their own and uh, the Islanders. And uh, that is obviously a, a protected pick. I think that's top 12. Yeah, that's top 12 yeah. protected is what it is. Uh, it becomes a 2024 unprotected uh, first-round pick if the Islanders end up picking in the top 12. Uh, round two, they hold three second round picks, their own St. Louis's and Vancouver's. And then in 2024, they hold their first round pick and then Boston's, which again, like we said, is top 10 protected. It slides to 25 if need be. So over the next two drafts in the first two rounds, they have a total of eight picks. That'll do. Four first round picks, not counting all the conditions and stuff. Eisenman restocked the cupboard in a big way. Multiple first round picks is a big swing to have. Um, you've seen what he's done with multiple first round picks in the past, you know, trading up, uh, grabbing Sebastian Cosa, that kind of thing. But this is Iserman moving away from in his press conference. He said he doesn't really like trading for draft picks as much as he likes trading for players. He likes knowing, uh, trading for someone who's established, you know what they are. They're a known quantity rather than the massive risk of a draft pick. So, you know, he moved away from that comfort zone and he stocked up on picks again. What does this signal for you, the way he handled this deadline? The Heronic trade was the first big signal for this, and we talked about it last episode, but now with everything that's happened since then, it's kind of solidified what we were talking about. The Red Wings are building around their core of 18 to 22-year-olds. That is the core that they are hoping is going to bring them into a cup contender window, and because of their age, hopefully have that be a very prolonged period in that window a la the Washington Capitals who were there forever Pittsburgh it was mostly homegrown talent young players built from within and then you add pieces around the core and yeah. given the age of Heronic and Bertuzzi you know 
then you could probably pick out a couple other players. They were not going to meet that window. They just the Red Wings were not going to be able to get there quick enough. So Eisenman seems to have fully committed to this age bracket. And draft picks are great. They're unknowns, but you know, Mo Satter's what, 21 years old, Lucas Raymond's 20. Um, you know, Valeno Berggren, not that old as well. They're around the same age. The 17 and 18 year olds that are going to be drafted in this upcoming draft are pretty damn close to that age, right? So th- this is an age bracket in the next two drafts that can fit in with the current core. And then you get to stagger the ELCs of all these players, depending on how soon they develop as Raymond's into his more expensive contract, as Sider's into his more expensive contract. Even when Marco Casper's getting into a second second contract, you know, the 2024 draft guys are going to just be yeah. breaking through. So it's it's not only a good way to add a lot of value to an existing, what your existing core is, but it's a way of adding value cheap. And the thing with the volume, and I I do want to bring this up because we talked I talked talked about this before, but it's hard to get superstar players, which is what the Red Wings are drafting. And you look at, you know, a late first round pick only has like according to this chart, picks 21 to 30 only has a 7% chance of being a star player. Picks 11 to 20 have a 10% chance. But all of a sudden you have four first round picks with three of them being in the top half of the first round. You've got not terrible odds of finding someone there. And then you factor in the Boston pick, which who knows where that's going to land. Second round picks, again, long shots, but not impossible. You know, you got a a three to 5% chance of hitting someone of significance there. And I'm talking star level players, not just. Not just everyday Regular everyday NHL players. Those odds go way up versus what I'm talking about. But. Star players are what the Red Wings need. So not only could the Red Wings get a lot of players to add to this core of quality, they might get one or two of those pieces that they so desperately lack right now. Or the other alternative, when you have this much picks and all of these first round picks, except for one, are in the top half of the first round and all of the second round picks are in the top half of the second round. Those are some premium assets to be able to package together if someone emerges on the trade market. If you're not confident you're getting that player, that first-line winger, that first-line center, that top-pair D, whatever you're looking for, out of the draft, which, again, as I said, is unlikely, but with the volume, mm-hmm. reasonable, you could just go get one. I, I Again, we talked about it. I'm upset the Red Wings didn't match the Chikrin trade that Ottawa made. Like That's something they should make 100 out of 100 times. Now, I don't know what player is going to be on the trade block next year or the year after, so I'm not even going to speculate on names. But the Red Wings are in a prime position now to do that. They can go out there and go, okay, here's our prospects, here's our picks, right. here's our package for your Timo Meyer, for your Jacob Chikrin, for whatever star happens to be on the market from a declining team. They can do that now. I guess for me, ultimately, it just adds to more flexibility and allows the timeline to mature at a more organic pace. Like you don't have to force anything if it's not there. Um, You can, you know, play it out as you see fit. So for me, it's all about flexibility. More draft picks give you flexibility to obviously draft players or take those picks, package them with current assets to, uh, to acquire better players. 
completely agree on the flexibility piece. 100%. That's exactly what you do. And it goes back to the last episode is you're basically trying to create as much flexibility as possible because there's just no way of knowing how the trade deadline is going to play out. Who's going to be available to you? You're right, Brad. You don't, you don't know who's going to be on the trade market. Like that's not established right now. There's probably GMs right there who have players that they want to keep for a long time that they're going to be surprised that they're trading in a year or two. That's, that's just the nature of this league where I am kind of wondering what's being said uh, with what's being said out loud versus what's actually going to be the priority here is Brad, you talked about drafting those players and and the fact that you have to turn those into your core and and you talked about the stats behind that. And Eisenman today in his press conference spent a lot of time, you know, saying like, I'm sticking with my plan of patience. Take a look at Toronto. Take a look at uh, Tampa Bay. Take a look at any of these teams with a nucleus, with a core of really strong players that's going to keep them at the top of the league for a long time. It took a long time to build those teams. So just because it feels like Eisenman's been at it for a while and, and Holland, even he started this, before he left, uh, they, the Red Wings still have a long way to go. I don't disagree with any of that. What I wonder is, would it not be Iserman's priority now based on you know, how much he valued for that hot second we thought the Red Wings could make the playoffs, giving the experience and, and you know boosting the revenue and all that stuff, whether you think that matters or not, with how much he values that, is he not going to aggressively try to turn these picks into pieces that expedite this process? I know that runs counter to what he said today. It's like, I'm going to try to expedite the process where I can, but you can't just conjure those those moves out of thin air. And, and he's right. I believe him when he says that. But I'm almost inclined to think, if you, if you force me to bet, which way does he go about this? Like ultra patient, you know, natural timeline versus, all right, you have four first round picks and uh, four second round picks over the next two drafts, not counting conditions. Let's see what we can turn those into in terms of, 22, 23, 24, or even a little bit older players who are going to be here, be here for a long time and make an impact, you know, top four, top six players. No short answer, but the flexibility is there. If something presents itself, I think right now the plan probably is to make all those picks until, you know, something emerges in the trade market. It doesn't happen often where you get a a player like Jacob Tricken, who's like 24, 25 years old and and could kind of fit into the window, but that's what it's going to come down to here, I think, for Iserman. This window isn't going to open for a few years. It's going to be when the Siders, Raymonds, Caspers, Edvinsons, you know, pick 11, pick 15 from this year, whatever that ends up being, start hitting their prime in the NHL. Um, and obviously it's going to be staggered. They're, you know, they're all different ages. I understand that, but they're all close that that timeline almost feels very firmly established now. Cause you know, we saw the, a lot of the responses online this week of, Oh, this is setting the rebuild back. This is setting the rebuild back. We're restarting. My question there is, is it Bertuzzi's 28? Was he ever going to be a reasonable uh, contributor to a Stanley Cup team in the Detroit, in no, Detroit, not at the level now, but I could see him being a contributor. It, it, his value would be way lower than it yeah, is right at, now. at whatever contract he's going to demand. Obviously, factor in again. Sunquist, look at his age. Was he ever going to really be a contributor? Heronic was close. You could absolutely make a case he could be, but when you get that type of return, you what's going to be more valuable to uh, this core of what they're building? A 28-year-old 
Hronik or a 21-year-old whoever the hell they pick at pick 15, which is probably going to be a pretty good player. Even if it's not a star, odds are pretty high that's going to be a good player. So, honestly, odds are probably better than Hronik. So, uh, that's hard to say. Half a point per game. Right yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but Hronik's a very good player, but this season could be the aberration. Um, I I don't think this was a setback. I think this actually progressed it. Because now there's a very, what appears to be clear plan, a very clear path, and now it's building around that. And there's always going to be options available, but the Red Wings aren't going out and packaging these picks up for JT Miller. Like, that's very clear. They're not going out there and packaging them up for, you know, whatever 29-year-old superstar hits the market next summer. It's going to be the, does Robert Thomas go on the market? Does... You know, I, I don't know, pick a playoff team that starts to fall off a cliff that has some young players. You know, Toronto goes in the tank next year. Do they look at a William Nylander? Austin Matthews. Hey, might not even have to trade for him next summer. Yeah, you'll just have to transplant the LCA to Arizona and pay him whatever. Actually, Arizona you know what? would could, love that. <laughs> we could actually maybe do that. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think the plan is to make the picks. Because again, here's the thing with picks that... I think people forget once you make the pick, you can still trade the pick. Yeah, you trade the prospect. Exactly. Like you have that prospect. It's not common. It's not, but it happens. You could right now, if you know, a 21 year old near star level defenseman hits the market and they go, we're only trading him to you. If Simon Edmondson's included. Oh, you mean like far? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can, you, you still have the asset. Sometimes the asset depreciates because the player didn't turn into what you thought he would. Sometimes, if you make that pick, it increases in value. What would that sixth overall have pick been worth before the Red Wings drafted Mo Sider? What would that pick have been worth two years later? Right? It's still an asset that can change in value, and it's still something you have for the long term. We talked about it on Wednesday. The Red Wings have more good prospects right now than they have roster spots for. They're not all going to make it you're going to have to trade some of them or you're just wasting. Uh, a, and again, it's it's dehumanizing to call them assets, but you're wasting an asset. Yeah. So we call them resources at work. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's like, we. you know what we say a lot is bandwidth. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big, that's a corporate speak. Yeah. Well, Sorry. Big time. But yeah, so when you have three out of four picks in the top half of the first round, the play here is probably to make those picks and see what you get out of it. Uh, Eisman said a few interesting things um, in that presser where he he mentioned that you know the winning streak around where they uh, they went on that Western Conference road trip and they won a bunch and that's when we all said look whether we wanted to believe this could be true or not we obviously wanted to believe it could be true but whether we believed it was possible uh, the Red Wings pulled themselves into the playoff mix. Eisman said he had a plan before that about the trade deadline and we knew it and that winning delayed things. You know, he said, you know, obviously making the playoffs would have been great. And even if you thought you were going to lose in the first round, there's a ton of value. And we've talked about that. But he's like, it just delayed things more than anything. He talked about the Ottawa games and he said it wasn't like those didn't push him over the edge uh, to speak in that, you know, his plan was his plan. And you have to make those kinds of moves like he made with Hironic and Bertuzzi, especially um, 
based on the return that you got or the fact that you can't lose Bertuzzi in free agency for nothing. And I believe him when he says that, but he also did specifically call out, he's like, it's not that we lost those two games against Ottawa, it's how we lost them. And he said, that to me told me that this team isn't ready yet. What did we talk about last episode? Losing the four points sucks on the board. Um, a lot of things can happen. I, I think that changed the the nature of the playoff race for sure, but it's the the statements that came out of those games. And obviously that was seen by everyone, Steve Eisenman included. He said very distinctly he believes Buffalo and Ottawa are ahead of Detroit in the rebuild process. So if this is a guy who views, who's saying, um, you know, I espouse the values of patience in this, and I know I've been saying it for a while, but you can't just change course just because you want to. You can't just conjure up first-round picks out of thin air. And if he genuinely believes that that Ottawa game was representative or those two Ottawa games are representative of where the teams are at and that Ottawa and Buffalo are ahead of Detroit. And he also spent a lot of time talking about the other teams in the East and how good they are. And is it even worthwhile to go to the playoffs just to get, you know, swapped by them? Then, yeah, like, I I still believe, I, I'm still of the mind that I think those picks, I know I know you, you justified why you think the picks are going to be made, Brad. I still believe he's going to try at least to do something with them. Uh, but I, I don't think you can do anything other than take Eisenman at face value when he says he thinks the patient natural path forward is the most likely one. Yeah. And the patient, like I said, would be making those picks because it's going to be, it's crazy to think that the players that they're, we'll, we'll talk about the two picks in 2023's first round. They're only four years younger than most cider. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's almost insane to think of. These these players who are just numbers on a draft board for us right now are could be such integral pieces to the Red Wings core and future, but that's kind of what it is. Like when you try to cluster a group of players together, yeah, you want the ages to be reasonably close because then as you know, he talked about Toronto, Tampa, Washington, all those teams that were very, very good for very, very long. Yeah, you have to start in that age bracket and just Pray you you pick the right player so you can coast through it. Brad, you said something in there um, that you think the rebuild wasn't set back by this, by trading Hironic, by trading Bertuzzi and, and getting these first round picks because of the value of those picks. And I don't think I disagree with that, but I think this begs uh, uh, the attention to a much bigger question that we are going to spend a lot of time talking about over the coming weeks. We're going to have some uh, good panels and folks on the show to discuss this. But just to raise the point now, Iserman went out and spent to improve this team last offseason. We said ahead of the season that no matter what he did, it had to be a distinct move in one direction or the other, either improve the team or really tank for Bedard. Knowing that, you know, he said these were potentially likely outcomes and they they were for a while for guys like Bertuzzi and guys like Ronick. 2020 hindsight, obviously, but how big of an impact did spending in this offseason have in this past offseason have for this rebuild? And do you view it now with all the information that we have as a mistake? I personally, I think it was a misstep. Maybe I will get roasted for that. I don't care. Clip it. (laughs) I also said this team was going to finish seventh in the division and clear that's working out all right right now for me. They sit in seventh as we speak. He's he's dunking on us every episode, Brad, until it happens. (sighs) And I think it's really sort of come to fruition now when you see what they sold at the deadline because the significant returns have been for players that they had at this before buying in the offseason. So I think bringing in guys who only sort of raised the floor in a year where 
the draft is ex- exceptionally strong. I I totally see what Steve Eisenman was going for, and you know you can't just suffer. Uh, you, you can't just you can't be Arizona every year, except for Arizona, um, and they barely are. Every year we're not sure if they're coming back, and they're on a heater right now. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I totally understand the path that he was going for, and I don't disagree with it. But the fact that, you know, you've sold off a few of those pieces that have netted you essentially nothing, and you've sold off pieces that were there before the buying, which were the significant returns, and you're sitting in a worse spot than where you probably wanted to be in this year's draft. I don't think I need to explain why to anybody. Um... To me, it feels like buying in the offseason was a miscalculation. I don't think it was a misstep at all. I think it actually probably helped um, in, in terms of how everything played out. Because the bottom of the NHL right now is atrocious. At the time of recording, Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, San Jose... Arizona, Vancouver, Montreal, Philly, and St. Louis are below Detroit in the standings. Uh, Washington and Florida also have worse points percentage. I think if Detroit didn't sign a single player last offseason, the only team that of that list that might be ahead of them right now is St. Louis. I don't know. Huso really has... has Huso's done a lot. Huso's done a lot, but he also is a solution for a while because they needed a starting goalie. So... Um, you know, that's one of the one area of your team you can never have a question mark, um, or else you're you're screwed. And we got two more years of Billy Huso. But they weren't gonna fall down. They were not gonna be in the Bedard sweepstakes. Like even if you wanted to argue uh, maybe Philly, maybe Montreal catches them and passes them, sure. But that's still a seven percent chance. And how how well has that worked out for us the last Ten years, but what we did get this year is a team that boosted its overall value, and you know, rising tide raises all ships. Got a, a season out of nowhere for from Philip Ronick, which netted us two very good. That's a good pieces. point. Uh, and who primarily boosted Philip Ronick's value this year? Olimata, who was a signing in the off season for nothing. Honestly, Ben Sherratt moved to Hironic, uh uh, Heronik's uh, uh, partner on the blue line. Heronik has a rough couple months. Maybe that's what pushed uh, Eisman over the edge and said, no, I got to ship this guy out now because we've seen his peak. So you have Ben Sherratt to thank for that first two. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And um, obviously when the team's good, all of a sudden they, you know, maybe the power play is not so bad. Maybe the top line can contribute. And Bertuzzi returns to form. And now all of a sudden he gets a much bigger trade return than we thought so I don't think the Red Wings are terribly far off in the standings where they otherwise have been. They probably boosted the value. Well, they definitely boosted the value of Philip Ronick. You could argue maybe Bertuzzi. And this is probably the most fruitful trade deadline the Red Wings have had since the rebuild started in terms of the quality of assets they were able to retain. And Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, Joe Valeno, Philip Zadina are playing in a wild card race right now. They are playing meaningful games. Now, obviously, we as fans and hockey media and commentators, we know what's probably going to happen for the rest of this season. Players don't know that. They're still going for that spot. The players know, but it's not their job to yeah. think about that. They go out there and try to change the narrative. Yeah, they're they're going to go out there and try to prove us all wrong. And guess what? The last month, they didn't know this was coming, and they were playing super important, critical games, night in, night out. 
they got they got a taste of something they probably otherwise wouldn't have had. Again, if they didn't make those signings, the Red Wings are six, seven points behind where they are now, which in terms of the lottery odds isn't much, but in terms of the playoff race, they'd be out of it. It wouldn't be, a, it would not even be in the conversation. So I, I think it didn't plan, it didn't play out the way Iserman had hoped. Like, obviously, you make those signings hoping to make the playoffs. But I think he kind of got the best of both worlds here, even if it was, in one respect, accidentally. I can hear arguments both ways. Uh, I'm going to take the Evan route here and just kind of uh, couch my opinion. Because my I, man. Yeah, that's right. I learned from the best. You're, all your predictions on the show are right, so I'm just going to start emulating you. That's going to be a, a hot topic, and I think for good reason. You did. You both raised some really good points. I, I do agree, though, Brad, that it's often overlooked with... Um, you know, you don't get what you get out of Philip Peronic in terms of play and the return if you don't, you know, improve his D partner. And then also, you know, having Dylan Larkin play all season on a team that's dismal to play for, you don't know if he's going to resign, if he wants to be here. Having Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond grow, grow up, but like grow in a system where losing is, uh, you know, the norm. Think of teams who've kind of sucked forever and, and their star players that they sign and then but they never really build around them. What happens to those star players sometimes? Sometimes they leave the team because they don't like to do that forever or they it instills bad habits in them. I I I think back to the time when we were gunning for the when we were hoping that the Red Wings were going to make the playoffs. I mean like a week ago. Four days ago. Yeah. yeah. That that energy in the fan base, but for the team, it's hard to quantify that. And I think it's good to hang on to what that feeling was, even if it's not there right now in a concerted way. And we know what the Red Wings are going to do. They're going to go on an insane tear now and just yep. kind of yep. make the math work in their favor yet again. But you hang on to what that that energy was, and there is a lot of value in that. Ultimately, I do think whether or not you land on, you know, was spending the offseason a mistake or, or, or not, was it actually beneficial? I think no matter what, Eiserman has positioned this team where they have options moving forward. Like those draft picks that we talked about, that is such a good foundation to work from. I will say I don't I don't begrudge fans at all who are sitting here saying how much longer. It's hard because you can't really expedite this very easily, but it also has been a long time. And that's why I still I'm going to go back to what I, I said earlier. I still think Eisenman is going to seek to, if he can, make those moves to expedite it. Speaking of moves, uh, some smaller moves that Eisenman made. Uh, he signed a 21-year-old winger out of the QMJHL, and this was before last episode even, uh, Alexander uh, Doucette to a three-year entry-level contract. Uh, he's having a fantastic season in the queue currently with uh, the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, 45 goals and 89 points through 58 games this season. He leads the entire QMJHL, which is one of the three major junior hockey leagues in Canada, in goals. Um, originally an undrafted player, so uh, good on him for uh, earning himself a uh, pro contract. Hey, it worked for uh, for him in Tampa with Yanni Gord. Yeah. Yeah. So might might happen again here. Again, it's uh, Doucette's doing it as an overager in the queue, and overagers generally 
at least Fords tend to put up big points, but and especially Q, in the Q. The Q is the a Q. high. If you go to a, a QMJHL game, you'll actually be awarded with two goals on your stat line. You'll yeah. get an elite prospects game just for or a page just for attending. Actually, I, got, I should reach out to one of my employees. I just realized he's now he's a goaltender in the same division as Doucette. Be like, hey, give us a scouting report on his shot. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, I don't know. I've never stopped any of them. Okay, good Elusive. Sign. Yeah. It's elusive. <laughs> yeah. I, I am happy that the Red Wings are picking up a uh, young, talented goal scorer from the QMJHL that they don't have to spend a first-round pick on this time. Because <laughs> that's happened to them twice. <laughs> from Halifax. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um... Yeah, it's a no-risk move. That's what everybody has to keep in mind. The, they didn't give up an asset for him. They didn't spend a draft pick on him. They He's just theirs now yep. for the contract, and we don't care about the Illich's money. So. Yeah, it's, it's not your job to, to care about the money, so that's a, a nothing move. Uh, Puckpedia also reported today that the Red Wings signed 26-year-old goaltender John Lethemin to a one-year deal for the remainder of this season. Uh, he's been doing extraordinarily well uh, alongside Sebastian Cosa and Toledo for the Walleye. He had a uh, has a 927 save percentage and actually four shutouts uh, to his name this season. Costa has been going pretty strong there, um, and Lethman's a big uh, big part of, big part about uh, of that too. And those goaltending moves, um, I think, are just kind of to shore up the position. There was a hot second where Huso left practice early, and we were all wondering, is there anything there? Uh, we asked around, and it just seemed to have been. He a, pulled the old Luongo. Well, yeah, yeah, he's. <laughs> The uh, the Luongo, the Kimi Raikkonen, yep. uh, it it was just like a minor tweak. He's not going to be available for tomorrow's game, so just a, a small injury at the at a time where it made things look a lot more suspicious. Another fallout or a spinoff move from this was Alex Nedeljkovic actually recalled on emergency uh, recall from the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, is flying with Detroit uh, out this weekend. So the Red Wings bring up Ned uh, Helberg is obviously his uh, uh, rounds up that tandem in net. And the Red Wings sign another uh, goalie just for the rest of the season. So good on Lethman. Did, did himself uh, a favor by playing so well with Toledo. He got uh, Detroit's attention. Also, in the flurry of everything happening slash not happening with JVR, they signed uh, Alex Chieson for the uh, for a two-way deal. So I believe he is also traveling with the team for uh, this weekend. And I think that contract, yeah, that contract is for just the rest of this season. Yeah, because he was on an AHL-only deal, so um, he could not have been recalled before he signed this contract. And obviously with Verana out, Sunquist out, Bertuzzi out, they were running low on bodies, so they're bringing Chase on up. Yep. just He's an NHL vet, been there, done that, so he, he's a plug-and-play type of guy that, that can fill in uh, some games for the rest of this season. Some other notes uh, from the Eisman presser that I think are important to kind of recognize he did, you know, acknowledge the importance of losing Michael Rasmussen uh, for the rest of the season is what's expected. So that's going to put a big damper on what were their playoff hopes earlier. Uh, He was asked quite a bit about guys in Grand Rapids. Um, I know he specifically recognized actually, you know, Edvinson was the name that was brought up to him the most. And he went out of his ways to say, hey, Albert Johansson uh, is having himself quietly a really, really good season in Grand Rapids. Uh, I'm inclined to think that Johansson would get the call up even before Edvinson at this point, if someone's going to get called up. Uh, he recognized, obviously, uh, Edvinson's having himself a good season, Soderblom, but Cross Hannes is another name he brought up. Brought up multiple players from Grand Rapids and specifically noted that he expects one or two of them to fight for roster spots next season. Brad, you talked earlier, you said, you know, there aren't enough roster spots for the amount of prospects that the Red Wings have. So another function of, you know, moving out so many rostered players is you create more 
breeding ground for competition next training camp. Yeah. You need bodies and spots, but you don't want them to be gifted. So you, you want them to be earned. And yeah, now all of a sudden Edmondson and Johansson are competing with each other for what is probably going to be one spot for between the two of them next year, um, which is, you know, healthy competition. And then, you know, I don't know how many forwards out of Grand Rapids are going to be competing for NHL spots next year. Soderblom probably, but I don't even know if that fully counts since he already spent a good chunk of the year with Detroit. Um, I don't think Hannes will be ready next year, but either, either way, you know, you want that competition. Does Marco Casper come over and make it interesting and push for a spot? Does Carter Mazur leave the NCAA and make it interesting? Again, n- none are sure bets. Most are actually long shots, but you need it there. And and you need at least one or two guys a year to make it hard on you because, you know, eventually these spots, Jonathan Berger in this year, Eisman in that presser said he didn't expect, he didn't, wasn't sure there would be any games in Detroit for Berggren this year, and he didn't go so far as to call him a regular, but yep. he, he said he's progressed well, and he's there now, and he's he's playing like he deserves to be there. I love that he recognized you know Rasmussen's development, uh, Berggren's development, um, Valeno, and then Philip Zadina. Wow, what a turnaround for for you know someone where if you had to say this guy's a write off at the start of the year, a lot of people wouldn't have said Verona; they would have said Zadina. And this is Steve Eisman specifically recognizing him. It's not the first time he's done it in a press conference, uh, but it's it's cool that he, if you're lumping him in with Rasmussen and Valeno, that that projects pretty well for Zadina, just that they believe he can be an NHL guy. Well, since he's come back from his injury, he has played extremely well. Again, by the new standard set for what we expect Philip Zadina, not... Yeah, the sixth overall standards, which we we've had that conversation with Rasmussen for a year. We can have that with Zadina now because he's, I think, been close to a half a point per game since he's come back. He had a hell of an assist, phenomenal assist on Berggren's goal uh, against Seattle yesterday, and Zadina's looked good. Like he he has looked very very good. So it's it's good that Eisenman recognizes that because you know as a, a group of admitted Zadina apologists. Hopefully he proves us right, at least in some capacity. Here. Just when I was finally ready to walk away from that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the beginning of the year, after those first handful of games, we were all like, okay, yeah, enough of this stuff. He can't put up even a secondary assist at this point. Yeah. We're, we're done here. Gets hurt. All right. Well, that sucks for him. Comes back. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, maybe there is something still there. Um, okay. So speaking of that assist, so Detroit did play a game between last episode and now. Uh, they, it was an ultimately a five, four, uh, overtime loss to the Seattle Kraken, but it was a game in which that they were able to kind of, uh, come back in a surprising way from two goals down, uh, Ben Sherratt's goal was a, a weak one that was let in, but it was a really good play that started with Perron in his own zone, uh, and nice passing from Fabry and Cop to Sherratt who, who got the easy one. It was... <laughs> Right afterwards, it was acknowledged that Ben Schrott was indeed moved to the right side for that game, but uh, he's kind of all over the ice, so he scored from the left, <laughs> which was funny. Um, Sider had a point shot off of a great, fantastic play uh, leading up to it from Berggren, but especially Wallman ended up in a Sider point shot. Adam Ernie was eventually credited with the goal, who was called up for that game. Larkin got the other assist uh, next to Sider. So, hey, Adam Ernie. Yep, um, on that goal, yeah, great pass from Larkin, Berggren. And Wallman made that goal happen, yeah. though. They they were the ones who held possession and were cycling the zone for a good amount of time and made a lot of good plays. 
before it eventually got to Larkin, to Cider, and in the net. Uh, Beargren's goal from Zadina, though. Like Zadina in front of the net finds Beargren, or yeah, finds Beargren, whose stick is in the right place. Again, Beargren really excels in that, I find. Uh, but Zadina's just quick, knowing where Beargren is, having the sense as to where he was in the slot with the goalie moving the other direction. It was an automatic tap in. Fantastic vision from Zadina. Great little pass there. Yeah. How have we not put put more attention on the fact that the first three picks from the 2018 draft are all playing on a line and they looked phenomenal that game. Great chemistry. Like Valeno, again, made a lot of things happen to get that, to set that goal up, even though he ultimately didn't get an assist on it. Um, That line was really good. And, you know, we always talk about you get one or two players out of a draft. It's a good draft. They have a whole ass line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from the first, from their first three picks of that draft, and that line looks good. And then the goal of the night, oh my goodness, Jake Wallman. The immediate exclamation was $3.4 million for this guy, but he, you know, stick handles, has the, uh, <laughs> has the fake slapper at the blue line with, I don't know what the Seattle Kraken player was doing. You called it beer league? Nobody has ever committed that hard to a shot block in a beer league that they overslid by that much. He was just laid out. Wallman stole his soul. <laughs> Sent the guy sailing across the ice. Uh, stick handles Deeks and fires it home after stepping up to the top of the circles. Just outstanding goal by Jake Wallman. Highlight of the night, absolutely. And, and uh, obviously the happening right after he got his contract, that was cool. But uh, even in a game where Detroit lost and everyone's like, oh, you know, losing Pertuzzi, losing Hronik, that that sucks. It reminded you that they have three more years of this to look forward to, at least with uh, with Jake Wallman. Yeah, it was a highlight-level goal, and, and give credit to the Red Wings. They hung in with, with Seattle, who's surprisingly a good hockey team this year. I mean, their goaltending still leaves a little bit to be desired, but you know what? With with all the the, the flurries of trades that the Red Wings have had to endure and and the emotional sort of change that they've had in the locker room over the past 24 hours. It, it was great to see that they they stayed in that game and gave them a chance, gave themselves a chance to win. So the they all ended up losing in, in overtime and, you know, Seattle, the better team over the, the course of the game, I still think. Uh, the Red Wings have two games upcoming uh, on the road, the Islanders and the Flyers back to back Saturday and Sunday, respectively. We are not going to be recording. So these last two episodes are going to serve to hold over until midweek. We might put out a little bonus something depending. Uh, we'll let you know uh, early next week, but for sure uh, you're going to get those next two games and possibly even the Wednesday Chicago game before um, our next show. So uh, that's what the Red Wings have upcoming. Right now, they are sitting 23rd in league standings overall because we are now looking to you know draft lottery. If you want to entertain the notion of the wild card spot, they are of the teams not currently in a wild card spot, and I'm not talking by points percentage, I just mean by points. Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida, and Washington are all ahead of them. They do have better points percentage than Florida and Washington. They are just behind Ottawa, uh, Buffalo, and then not to mention the Islanders and Pittsburgh hold those spots. Detroit has 21 games less left this season, and I believe they are still, by every measure, one of, if not the hardest schedules over the course of the rest of the season. Well, this Saturday is their biggest must-win game of the season. One, the Islanders are holding down that eighth spot. So if they want to get that eighth spot, yeah, that's probably the team you need to beat more than anybody else. But more importantly... We need that draft pick. Yeah. That, that a big 
regulation win helps that draft pick. <laughs> Unless you want it to slide to 2024. I don't know. I have a hard time thinking, like, is pick 13 this year versus unprotected what's going to happen with the Islanders in 2024? Have you looked at the Islanders roster? How much confidence do you have in them next year? Not I. I G- give me that unprotected 2024. We need to get them up into the top 12. So the Red Wings really have to win then. Yes, it's a must win. And then obviously we don't have to tell you about the impact of the game against the Flyers. Uh, okay, that's what <laughs> yeah, the Red Wings a, have a, a former Red Wings legend. Let's take a look uh, around the NHL and kind of what happened in terms of trades from last episode to now. We definitely, the, the league was definitely way more active leading up. I don't mind the way this deadline played out. I kind of liked it, honestly. It was uh, pretty a fun. steady stream and then some moves right at the end. Um, it, about the Chikrin trade, and we said that was a kind of an underpay. Apparently a big part of that was uh, the Arizona Coyotes really didn't want to retain at all. So money was part of it. I had... The number of times, so I was going to actually ask you guys about this because I read that four or five times and you're telling me the Arizona Coyotes didn't want to retain money. Yeah. Because they don't want to pay it. For their top trade asset. They didn't want to retain money. So they took a worse deal because- They didn't want to retain money. Yeah. Yes. This and is how much of their cap is just dead money right now? 50 all? some percent? Yes. I'm done. Blast Arizona to the sun. <laughs> well, have you what ever been to Arizona? They're already kind of there. Yes, they are. It's true. <laughs> They're very close. But my God, what a joke. This is why bad teams stay bad. Like, you you make bad, consistently bad decisions for a myriad of different reasons. And yeah, the Coyotes owner is, a, for lack of a better term, a cheap prick. And this is why they are where they are. I feel so bad for the dozens of Arizona Coyotes fans. <laughs> I, seriously, like what? If the Red Wings did this, we'd have to have an emergency podcast, which A, is bad enough for me. <laughs> and then we would just spew anger into the microphone for hours like i i'm i'm done i'm done <laughs> and it's funny because they still got a first and they still got a second that could turn into a first not that i think Ottawa's going to make the conference finals but we've been surprised before but yeah w- with how long they held out on chikrin and with the prices of everything else that's this deadline they had everything they needed to squeeze it didn't even have to be a, a home run like don't even have to uh, scale up the Genoa trade and whatever the equivalent is for a player of chicken's caliber but you should be getting a massive return it also illuminates why this took so long or at least part of a reason why yeah you want to get people to the price that you want but then also if you just don't want to pay the dollars like that's that's bad for the league if i'm a team who's profit sharing which is all of them up, up at the top I'm pissed off that they're doing this. This hurts Arizona, the franchise. Yep. The The taking on dead money is one thing, and I think that's a big conversation, and it's complicated. I don't want to say that's all good or all all bad or, you know, Bettman's terrible for not cracking down on it or, you know, it's just part of the game. I, I think it's a big gray area. Well, he doesn't have to worry about it. Teams don't tank. No, right. I think something like this where you take a lesser return – because you actually just don't want to pay the real... Like, come on. That is... It, it removes... How cheap 
can you possibly be? You own a, a professional sports franchise. And they're they're going to feel the ripple effects. I mean, they're probably going to not like they have to hope they knock these picks out of the park. Otherwise, they're going to look back and say, well, what did we even do with that? Anyhow, some other trades that happened. Uh, Granland went to Pittsburgh. I think we mentioned that one. Jacob Voracek, you talk about cap dumps to Arizona. Uh, Can we talk about Pittsburgh? That's you know, a bad trade. Right? You want yeah, it's a horrible trade. You want to talk about a team without a plan? I'm surprised. That's another team that I I think was interested in Bertuzzi. I'm surprised they didn't move on it. They don't have the assets, so it's really no, hard that, for them. And then they don't they it, have a ton of firsts? Don't they have their next three first round picks? Yeah, but they also have a very 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 aging core. And their first round pick this year could be around the Islanders' pick. So. Fair. If I'm Pittsburgh, I, I'm not doing that. They for were Tuesday. they really didn't want to deal with their firsts. Yeah, but yeah, well, that's fair because they got nothing. Well, Granlund, uh, you know, he's expensive and he's got lots of term left, and he's also uh, declining rapidly. So naturally, give up a second round pick for him. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov was one of the worst defensemen on a historically bad defensive team. So naturally, he's a big upgrade uh, to whatever the hell they were doing now. So yeah, it's you know, as a someone who really dislikes the Penguins, it's marvelous to see. Uh, and again, the, none of the magnitude of these trades are going to be as big as the other ones. Max Domi ended up going to Dallas in a deal that saw Hudobin go the other way. Uh, Jonathan Quick didn't actually have to go to Ohio after all. Ended up getting traded to Vegas, which I think is a funny turn of events. The Blue Jackets tweet about that. Like recognizing legend Jonathan Quick was hysterical. Uh, I think Vegas kind of saying, oh, well, what do we have here with like a, a rival from LA now? Over- I love it. I think that's, yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, give me more of it. Well, the LA Kings, the team with the worst save percentage in the NHL, uh, upgraded their goaltending. So Vegas decided to upgrade their goaltending by grabbing a goaltender from that team. It, it hasn't ever worked for anybody else in the history of hockey, but this time. And if you're sitting here saying, you know, what's the, uh, why is it that Sunquist is one of the bigger trades that the Red Wings made of the day? Because there were almost no like massive trades on trade deadline day at all. Arizona acquired Brett Ritchie and Connor Mackey uh, from Car- Calgary in exchange for Nick Ritchie and Troy Stetcher. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what you're working with. Did today. we ever talk about the Patrick Kane trade? Well, in just a second, okay. Kl- Klingberg did end up going to Minnesota. Um, ah. Half retained for Schuster, Nestorenko in a fourth. Yep. Uh, there goes the worst defensive defenseman on the worst defensive team of the last 10 years. But yeah, we we kind of blew past the Patrick Kane thing. That one finally came through where New York was able to accrue enough cap space over time with some questionable roster moves that they felt was necessary to to add Patrick Kane. Um, and then they ended up giving up a, a variety of pieces. None of them, the, the highest end piece is a second round pick in 2023 that upgrades to a 2024 first top 10 protected or a 2025 first if New York makes the Eastern Conference final, which I could see happening. That's... Yeah. A strong possibility. Does Patrick Kane make New York a strong enough candidate to say this is one of the top three teams that could come out of the East? Top three? The East is so... (laughs) No, but I could say maybe they're the favorites coming out of the Metro now, which would get them to the conference finals. Over Carolina? They're right there. They took them out last year. Roll those dice any day. And they're a much better team this year than they were last Carolina didn't make any big trades. No, they didn't. I, I'm wondering, because Carolina is not the oldest team in the world. They Their window's probably open a little longer. I'm just wondering if they're maybe looking at next year or the year after to be the year to really load up. I get that. And I think that, like that's the probably the smart, prudent thing to do, but it's just really hard. It's hard to know you have a team that could 
make noise in your year. Like you're one of the best teams in the East and you still have to look at what's happening around you and say, let's not, um, you know, let's not spend everything now. Let's just sit tight and wait for these teams to die off. Like not that they're laying down, like on paper, they're still one of the most competitive teams in the NHL. They have questions at goaltending, of course, but you're as good as Carolina and you have to, you know, hold yourself back because you don't think you're going to be able to compete in the arms race. Like that's nuts. I, I, I still don't really bet against them, but it just goes to show how insane things have gotten in the East. Well, it's kind of the catch 22 because this year was kind of refreshing in the sense that everybody, it seemed, decided to try to amp up. And obviously, as we talked about, it really played in Detroit's favor. But in a normal year, rentals almost never have the impact the team hopes they will. Ottawa got Jacob Chikrin and their playoff odds only jumped by 3%. And teams are giving up huge assets for fractions of return. I like what New Jersey did. You, If you want to load up, go get a Timo Meyer. Someone with term, a good player. Those are the plays. Edmonton getting Matthias Ekholm. Toronto getting Jake McCabe. Those are the plays that I generally am a huge fan of. The pure rentals, uh, I think, are usually overvalued. So if that was all that was available to Carolina, I, I like the idea of them standing pat, but I know they were in on Timo Meyer, and after seeing what he went for, I feel like that was a missed opportunity because Carolina, with their prospect pool, definitely could have matched and beat that offer. Um, but Meyer and Chikrin both, I was kind of like, those are two of the most desirable, if not the most desirable players on the market. And I was surprised by, they weren't bad returns. A lot went the other way. And depending on what they do with the picks, they could make, you know, this whole conversation look stupid. But yeah, those, those players could have been had for, I thought, I think they could have been, uh, they could have got much bigger returns for them. I will say had Detroit matched either of those offers, I would have been very happy. I would have been happy too. Mm Mm-hmm. And Eisenman said, um, you know, at no point was I going to be a buyer. And then he clarified, he's like, I'm not going to go out and just buy rentals. Players who would, uh, you know, fit into the future for a long time, then yeah, he would consider that. And that's like, doesn't matter the the height of our, are they going to make the playoffs hype? That's, that was always going to be the case. So that's not news. All right. That's trade deadline. Uh, again, shout out to the Red Wings for splitting up the stories. So we effectively had a part one and part two of the trade deadline recap. Uh, again, Uh, we're going to have a lot more conversations about the Red Wings rebuild. What is going to come up next opinions on the paths forward. We have a lot of really great guests coming on, uh, in the coming episodes. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime for now though. Overtime again is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club, support the show and really help us out. Um, we really, really do appreciate it. And remember patrons will have something, uh, we'll do something special for you to make up for the, um, the audio glitch, the mayhem of the last episode killed our last overtime episode. So at least it wasn't the main show. We're going to take some questions here. Xander Willoughby says, with all of these picks and rebuild extension, do we lean further into the Swedish slash Detroit East pipeline or best player available and go from there? I think it's always best player available. Like, yeah. I think the tiebreaker goes to whatever would fit what you're looking for best. There was a point there where I'm like, man, they are really, really, really loving their Swedes and they trust in their development path from there. And I, I agree with that, um, but it's just going to be best player available. And I know, Brad, if we if we think about what's at the top of this upcoming draft, there are a lot of North American players where if the Red Wings are fortunate enough to be drafting in the top 10, there's guys that you can't skip past all the way down, maybe even past pick 10. I don't know where you draw your line, but there are some really great names in there. 
This is a draft I'm very, very happy. The Red Wings might have two top 15 picks. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, also, to go back to a conversation we had 30 seconds ago, because uh, Pierre Lebrun has just thrown out some uh, things that happened with Carolina. So Carolina offered six assets for Timo Meyer. Holy. But the Sharks just went with the devil's offer. And they did uh, try to go for one of the premium rentals on the market, too. They just got outbid. Tyler Bertuzzi. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear they got outbid. <laughs> <laughs> the market was strong for Bertuzzi. It was. It's a good It's a good thing this was a hot year where every team decided to kind of load up. That really played in Eisman's favor. No, yeah. This was, this was the deadline the Red Wings have needed for the last seven years. It probably came a couple of years later than we hoped it would, but... This is what they needed because they have not had many extra first round picks or top half second round picks. And they ended up with multiple of all those this year, which is fantastic. Uh, next question here. Uh, let's take this one from Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe. It says, true or false, losing back-to-back games in Ottawa will ultimately benefit the Red Wings in the long run. True. Yeah, long run, absolutely true. Yeah. We were joking... Uh, we were joking off air kind of leading up to those games that the Red Wings are going to do this thing where they're going to win, 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 win all the way through the Seattle game. They're going to hold steady through the the trade deadline and then they're just, the floor is going to fall out from beneath them because, of course, that's what would happen in this Looney Tunes season. So losing those two games with the, the way in which they lost them, painful, said a lot about the rebuild, about where the team is at right now, but I think fruitful long term. I will say, though, I, I could still see them winning those games and Eisman seeing the offer for Hronik and going, yeah, I have to do that. And seeing that he wasn't going to be able to sign Bertuzzi and going, mm, first plus. Uh, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army says, I'm sad to see the direction of this season go completely sideways directly after we got bent over the table in Ottawa by both the Sens and the refs, but I digress. I hated to see both Bert and Hronik, especially Hronik, go, but I'm a huge fan of the return. I would have loved to have heard the reaction Eisman had when Vancouver called with their crack offer for Hironic. I'm also sad to see Verona go because I was fully in on the Verona redemption tour, but hopefully he finds success in St. Louis. Zadina staying also makes me very happy because I think he is coming into his stride again. His pass to Yanni Burgers was incredible on Thursday. My only concern for Steve's plan is, and we should have covered this in the episode, what's their plan for the right-hand side of the defense after trading Hironic? There's only th- there are only three right-hand D players in the system other than Plandowski and Tuomisto, not in the minors. We cannot win a cup with Sherratt and Lindstrom on the right side. Keep up the good work as always, Dub Dubs. I'm ready. <laughs> Look, man, me and you <laughs> fuse us together to make one ultra filler seventh defenseman. <laughs> there we go. We both shoot right. It can't fail. We'll last four seconds on the first shift and we're going to get trucked <laughs> by like Connor Garland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's a big hole that the Red Wings have to fill. Probably one that I, I expect them to maybe take a look at in the draft, depending on the players. Although I still think a premium top six center or forward um, is going to be who they swing for with their more higher end picks. But yeah, they're going to need to replenish that part of their pipeline soon. Yep. Or this could be, they have Mo Sider. They have the big piece on the right side. This is maybe where they find some of those value signings, the the Olimatas of the world in the next couple off seasons as well. Reed Matthews, and this is maybe a a little bit of a sober question because it's a big kind of empty list, but he says, with Pasternak signing a surprising massive contract extension, 11.25. I agree with you, Brad. I think that like that's a good deal for Boston. I would have been over the moon if Detroit could offer him that. Uh, yeah, if I was Detroit and it got to July 1st, I would have outbid that. Oh, yeah. 
uh, with Boston, who's going to be the biggest name in free agency that the Red Wings should try and sign? Uh, <laughs> the free agent list for this offseason is bleak. I haven't combed too far through it, but um, the quick peek I took at it earlier today, this is a, a value hunting offseason. You're not taking any big swings because I don't think there are any. Dan DeVry says, who I believe is a brand new patron, so welcome, Dan, to the Dub Dub Club, and thank you for your support. He says, obviously no one's going to trade the Bedard pick at this draft, but given how deep this draft is and that the Wings have an abundance of early picks, is there anyone you can see Eisenman trading up to get if needed? I would think that if it's possible without you know having to give up everything and more, Adam Fantilli would be very, very attractive to the Red Wings. So let's, I, I'm going to, quash this before this becomes a huge talking point. Fun sucker. Yeah, I'm going to do it. You offer let's say Montreal has a second overall pick just for to put a name there. You offer pick 11 and 15 to Montreal for it. Are they taking it? No. Exactly. No. The tr- the only trade up offer scenario I see here going from like a pick 11 to inside the top 10 is if Michkov starts to slide. That's one where, yeah, I agree. That's We talked about that. I can't remember where. Maybe it was offline. But um, if he starts to slide and he moves into, like, what, eight or nine territory? Yeah, if it's becoming abundantly clear teams are scared of the Russian factor and his contract in the KHL, okay, maybe then there's some opportunity because the way this draft is shaping up, the Red Wings should draft two very good players with the picks they have. But neither of those players are going to be at the level of Michkov. This draft is unique in that it has four guys who probably go first overall in the last couple of drafts. Um, so if with the circumstance around Michkov, there is the unique opportunity to get a legit franchise-level talent potentially outside of the top three in a draft. Well, one of them is going to go outside of the top three for sure. Um, just if he starts to slide, that's where the opportunity comes up. Uh, question here from Udalali says, uh, does Larkin sign that extension if it had come after the deadline? He was devastated talking about Burt yesterday. Part of me thinks he would have waited till the offseason if that had been the case. It's it's There's two sides to this coin here. One, I think it's very true that Larkin would have loved to have kept you know one of his best friends in Tyler Bertuzzi on the team. Uh, I was not at all surprised to see him be that upset. Uh, he also made just signed a deal that's going to guarantee him more than north of sixty nine million dollars. Nice uh, over his over his next contract uh, in his hometown, like it, essentially for his hometown team, where his family is, where his life is, where his friends are, where his you know fiance uh, is, and where he wants to kind of be. I think no matter what, that was going to trump everything. Not just that Larkin's not just some kid who doesn't understand. He knows the way this plays out. He knows the nature of this business. He can recognize that and still feel the hurt of, of losing one of your best friends. So it's going to be like when Evan and I eventually trade Brad one day. That's going to suck. You know, we're going to we're going to have to fill a lot of air. The guy never stops talking, but it's probably going to be for the betterment of the show. Just long not, term. just not Boston, please. Oh, throw you to the wolves. Okay, why don't we take some questions here uh, that came in through Reddit before wrapping up. Uh, this episode and kind of taking our little mini break before uh, jumping back with you next week. Uh, ZZE001 says, each, in each of your own opinions, what is the best way to utilize the draft capital Steve has acquired? Keep the draft picks and make the picks. Use them to trade up in the draft. 
use them to trade for young players, use them to offer sheet, essentially using them as your picks and using your own picks for the offer sheet. A little bit of all of the above. Offer sheets is an interesting, like uh, someone said, that's an interesting note that you don't really think of usually. Yeah, no. Not doing those conversations again. Um, you don't. You didn't like the Pedersen offer sheet conversation. It's coming up again, man. I would have loved you, to have done it. No, it's coming up again. Oh, it's so his contract's more, almost up. It's so much more expensive this time. Though. I know. I know. Um, the boring answer is make the picks. So if, if if I had to isolate one of the options, that would be my answer. The real answer here is probably both. Yeah. You know. I I think the the two first round picks this year and the Red Wings own first round pick in 2024 are the you have to make those picks because they're going to be in the top half of the first round and that's that's reasonably close enough to where you might find a star level player where your odds are better there than they would be the other avenues but the Bruins first all these early second round picks that will carry a heavy premium yeah there's there's Serious trade potential there, and I think those avenues should be explored, at least, if not. I'm not saying do it, but yeah, it should be explored. Dizzy Wrongdoer 5804 says, as we've uh, said these past few years, our number one center when we win a cup will likely not be Larkin. That being said, how do you feel we will acquire such a talent? Will it be via trade, free agency, or draft? Personally, I think the latter is most likely, and it could be Casper. However, it'd be nice to get some lot of luck this year, move up to get a guy like Leo Carlson or Will Smith. Even at our draft slot, guys like Dalibor, Dvorsky, and Oliver Moore could be there for the taking. Thanks for all you do, boys. Yeah, uh, Craig Button's mock draft that he did today had the Red Wings getting more and Dvorsky, which would be a <laughs> phenomenal outcome if if those guys slipped to those spots. Um, exhausted Wings fans is with all the NHL trades to competing teams this year. Does that mean there will be a lot of talent available this offseason? If so, should we try to pick any of it up? Thanks. Love the pod. Not necessarily right in the offseason, but it will all have to spill out eventually, right? What is going to happen is there's not going to be a lot of premium talent that's going to hit the free agent market because of this. It'll be your secondary players that that get priced out of Toronto, Boston, you know, pick whatever team has a big extension, Colorado. This is where the trade market might present opportunities for Detroit because, you know, a team wants to keep X player, Y player, Z player, but they don't have the cap room for all Let's say Toronto wants to keep some of their guys. They know Matthew's extension's coming and hypothetically William Nylander hits the trading block. Okay, that's something that you look at, right? Yeah. Uh, again, one player, one team example there. There's going to probably be a half dozen examples. Um, but yeah, that avenue, sh- again, should be explored depending on who becomes available. Uh, and then one Reddit comment here from Andrew Pillen says, Hey guys, seeing the Bruins and Leafs going, uh, or sorry, this is a Patreon back to Patreon comment. So seeing the Bruins and Leafs going all in for the cup this year, it makes me wonder who would you rather see not win around this year? If the other wins the cup, thanks for all the coverage. Toronto loses. Absolutely. It has to be just for the pure hilarity of it. Toronto, not winning around after all of this, making moves that I personally agree are finally the right ones for them. If they don't win a single round, I just like the delirium that would that would be the uh, result. I know I'm not we're you know covering the Red Wings. We're not exactly talking from a position of power here, but it would be chaos in the funniest way. I don't even think it's that crazy. Like we just watched Vasilevsky sh- shut out the Red Wings. Like he just s- there was no chance the Red Wings were winning that game because he was a net, and I think he that guy can do it. Because we've seen it, and he can do it over and over and over again. 
I mean, I think it, I think Toronto must have been really miffed that they didn't get Bertuzzi. Imagine they added Bertuzzi. They could have. They had the first to do it. Like obviously, the Boston's offer was better. But not only did they not add Bertuzzi, they went they went to Boston. He went to Boston. So if they beat Tampa Bay, <laughs> if if that's a big if, I don't know. Your answer also, Brad, is Toronto. It will forever and always be Toronto. It's a miracle Steve is still our friend. <laughs> Between Evan challenging that entire podcast to a fight every episode and us just ripping on Steve. Yeah, there's Steve. Uh, yeah, I grew up, the Red Wings were my favorite team, uh, my second favorite team. And there's a point there where I probably liked them as much as Toronto and, you know, great organization, always had a soft spot for them. And they're like, ha, we hope your team fails at every chance imaginable. And I guess, you know, consolation is if Boston wins a cup, Tyler Bertuzzi does too. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, not worth it. I, I, I'm going to follow Dylan Larkin's suit there to say, I'm not going to actively root for Boston, but if, if they win, it's going to be, you know, they'll have deserved it with that team. And I'll watch and enjoy Bertuzzi lifting the cup and that's it. And you'll turn it right off. Yeah. I'm just still hoping that the uh, cup finalist from the East comes out of the Metro. Yeah. Just because then it would the be Pittsburgh funny. The Pittsburgh Penguins? If the Pittsburgh Over Penguins Boston, pass. Tampa, and Toronto, I would choose that, yes. If they, after all of this, make the cup final. That would be the most NHL storyline. Like, all of these, you know, juggernauts, these powerhouses, whatever. And then, Hey, I'm, I'm big on the Sens right now. Sens have been hot. Dude. Sens are hot. If the Sens then make the Eastern Conference Finals and then Arizona does end up getting that second first round draft pick, like, oh, God. It's been the summer, Pierre, and we rolled right into the winter of Pierre. <laughs> This league is insane. This has been the best trade deadline since we started uh, doing oh, this easily. podcast. All right, folks. Um, like we said, there's a lot coming in terms of special guests, interviews. There's news that we didn't even get to today that we'll cover in the um, uh, coming days and weeks. Uh, so please stay tuned. Um, there isn't going to be an episode this Sunday as usual. The uh, latest, the next episode could possibly be is next Thursday, but we might put out something, a little bonus for you uh, ahead of time. So stay tuned for that. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. Any new listeners, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. Listeners of old, um, thank you again for for listening to us over all of these years. Um, it really means a lot. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash podcast. It really helps. Uh, if you don't want to contribute that way or you can't, that's totally fine. Other ways you can uh, support the show. Tell a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, all that. It really helps us. Um, and genuinely just thanks for being a uh, uh, part of this. The Red Wings have 21 games left this season. We're going to get, we'll some, be at at least one of them, at least one. And, uh, we're going to get into some prospect profiles soon too. So stay tuned. Lots of good stuff coming up. We'd like to thank all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing. Nick Perks, icon, Terry driver of the number 69 crime. Ryan Han has been in a slam and jam Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Jordan Bernaski, who's a brand new name level sponsor. Jordan, welcome and thank you for joining the Dub Dub Club. Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Babe Landiscog, Burt Baconator, uh, who is another brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Burt Baconator, and thank you for your support. Carl, Brutana, Nanoluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, uh, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Barry, Kaelin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Matt Penzine, who's a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Matt. 
Michael Edland, Nedeljkovic, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, Stupid Sexy Carlson. That's what I appreciate about you. Why do you always do this to me, Brad? General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army. Sam Bankson, uh, number one Detroit Red Guys fan. A.A. Ron. Adam Gowitska, who's a new name level sponsor. Adam, welcome, and I hope I said your name right. Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Ben Barron, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, CJ Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Georgia's biggest fan, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatarsas, the Hodag, the original Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, and finally my favorite patron, Matt Peeler. Thank you all so much. Hope you enjoyed the trade deadline. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.